Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck and I'm your host and your name is Listener. And that's what you do. You listen. What a life! What a week! Did you enjoy your long patriotic weekend? Uh, if you're an American and listening to this, you celebrated our national holiday, July 4th, the day in which America be- did. What is it? It's a, de- it's a declaration of independence. No. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a rat. July 4th is the day it was ratified, or is it? I think it was like a few days later, actually. Is that when it was signed? Declaration of Independence with John Hancock, a bunch of other dudes, huge signatures, large feather, parchment, probably ran out of ink a few times. You know, you think about those big feathers that people used to write with. How often did they have to re-dip it for ink, right? Was it... I don't... I, I highly doubt that that ink lasted longer than a word. You think like back in like the olden time in the late 1700s, you're like writing and someone, you know, is, you know, gives, gives their name and they're like, my name is John Smith. And you're like, cool, I can get that through. And then someone is like, my name is Leonardo Wilfenstein. And you're like, fuck, I'm going to need like three dips to get through this name. Jesus, man, have a shorter name. I'm writing with a feather. Oh my God. This ink does not go a long way. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if you showed, like, John Hancock a fucking ballpoint pen? Would his brain explode? Forget an iPhone and, like, all these things. I mean, that that's a given. But, like, just something as simple as, like, a ballpoint, like a Sharpie. Would, would, would Benjamin Franklin have been like, oh, fuck electricity. This is, this is what's up. This is, what? How? 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 But, you know, 4th of July. Listen, I, I love this country. I'm proud to be a citizen of it. I, you know, I take issue with many of the things that, you know, other people take issue with. But overall, very proud and happy to be a citizen of the good old U.S. of A. But, I mean, we really turned these holidays into just a fucking alcoholism fest. And I just, you know, whenever, I'm not sure when 4th of July became, you know, about Daisy Dukes and cheap beer. Man, that that's like the old, the oldest old guy statement I've ever made. But I'm not totally wrong. It's just like there's so much douchebaggery that this kind of holiday brings out in people that it almost makes me hate it. 
And I am so, um, I'm so frickin' American. <laughs> I'm really not. I mean, you know, I, I, appreci I appreciate the opportunities that were afforded to me by being born in a country with opportunity. <laughs> I don't know who I'm trying to impress. Sorry, a car just drove by. I'm, record I'm recording this in my car. You know, I record a lot of things for the podcast in my car now because... I got a busy household with a child who constantly makes noise and is just terribly insensitive. You know, he doesn't care that this is an audio experience. You've grown the listener, you know, uh, used to hearing with perfect treble and bass. He doesn't care. It's all about his needs. But yeah, not to divert from the whole 4th of July-ness of it, but you know, and I, I don't mean to be a square. I mean, as you know, if you're a listener, I'm a sober guy and thus I don't partake, you know, I don't partake in the, in, in, in the devil juice, in, uh, you know, the wild water, but I actually don't mind when people have a nice time. I, I kind of like when people have a couple sips and get a little kooky and fun and loose, but I don't know. Things like the 4th of July, Labor Day, Memorial Day, all basically all bank holidays that are sort of in appreciation of like military service members and sort of the, the value system of this country brings out the alcoholic in us all. And that part I don't love. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. Have your time. Enjoy your life. Um... What else? What else is going on? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to suspect that everyone's mildly unhappy. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Drive safe. We're all gonna die soon, and and we're all life is meaningless. Take care. Tip your waitress. No, I just, I, you know, I walked around throughout most of my life feeling so very different from everyone else. And, uh, and I felt reasonably articulate and some might even say eloquent. I don't know. You know, I don't mean to be capricious. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, but you know, I felt reasonably equipped with, with the proper wordage in which to describe how I fe felt. And yet I, I couldn't, you know, I just, I felt like, uh, majorly melancholy, if not a slightly depressed with deep feelings of questioning life and the way in which the world works, the people in it, why I think the way I do and um, kind of my place in the world. And so I walked around with this head of mine for a long time and, and I just suspected that because I couldn't quite articulate the way I was feeling that I must be the only person who feels this way. And, you know, through like some self-reflection, just growing up, meeting more people, um, doing the whole 12 step thing. I've, I've come to realize that I'm actually not quite, you know, I'm not such a minority that there's actually plenty of people who suffer from this. And yet I still felt like there was like this other, you know, contingent of people that are, that are just, they, they're just happy. They just wake up and they're just stoked all day. But I'm, I'm beginning to think that's not true. I'm beginning to think that everyone is just a slightly bummed and that, you know, the people that are less bummed are just like good at ignoring it and they can get really excited for uh, about their kids winning at Little League 
and about a promotion at work or a piece of apple pie or a fucking six-pack of brewskis on a bank holiday. And if that's the case, uh, God bless you. But, you know, it's uh, it's good to know that we're not, you know... I don't know, if you listen to this podcast and you feel as though... Uh, you identify with any of the things I'm talking about and get any solace from knowing you're not alone in it, well then, that makes me happy. And look at that! In one short rant, I've already improved my mood. That'll last for at least 15-20 minutes after this rant is done till the cold hard world starts creeping in. Can't wait for that. Um, today's show, Dove Charney, really interesting, polarizing figure with a with a crazy history, was basically the chairman and CEO creator of, of the company American Apparel, which was a billion dollar close to company um, that originated over the last 15 years and uh, had a meteoric rise to success only to now be completely defunct and bankrupt and uh, for Basically, Dove was ousted as the head of the company. And, uh, you know, he's a divisive figure. Um, He's been lauded for his brilliance and the way in which he helped build that company. And and then he's also been uh, criticized for the way in which he ran it and for other um, exploits that you can research. So, you know, he's been pretty widely interviewed in the past and... I felt a need in which to try to ask him things that I hadn't heard him ask before. Um, and I also knew people, two people who had worked very closely at his company that I've actually interviewed in the past. A friend of mine named Ryan Holiday and, and Robert Green, uh, both of whom I uh, respect and, and, and really love. And, and so uh, I was interested to sort of get this other side of uh, the experience from... From the dude, from the man, from Dove. So um, I hope you guys enjoy this. It's a bit of a mess. Dove is an interesting guy, but I, I, I appreciate that he sat down with me. You know, the only caveat or, you know, qualification that I'll give this is that this is his side of the story. Um, and just know that, that this is his side of the story. This is his perception of it. This is how it went down for him. Um, and if you brush up against anything or you question anything, I would, um, urge you to look it up, find some other sources and get to the facts. Um, because, you know, in the moment it was just him and I talking and I'm not, you know, I can't just sort of, I'm not a fact checker. I'm just a podcaster listening to a person who wants to, uh, to talk some shit. So anyway, what an intro that was. Am I right? Are you excited? What's gonna what's about to happen here? Anyway, uh enjoy Dove Charney. I changed it, but I don't really want you know, like it's it's my life on there, man. <laughs> Do you wanna describe the scene, like where we are for the listeners? We're in my office. Yeah. In South Central Los Angeles on 59th Street and Central. Um, this is my place of work. We have 400 employees here. This is the Los Angeles Apparel Factory. We're in my room right now, well, which is also known as my office. I live here. 
I live here 365 days a year, except if I travel or whatever. And uh, I love what I do, and I'm rebuilding uh, my apparel manufacturing empire. <laughs> and you've got a twin bed here, which I, I can see. How's that for the old back? It's good. That's yeah? fine. Yeah, no, I get a very good rest here. I don't have to worry about commuting. I'm very focused on what I'm doing, and it's a a pleasure for me because the, to kind of be traveling or in the car or not being here, I can, I'm able to do more, get more done, because to me, to, true freedom is just getting my business coordinated and growing exponentially the way I want it to go. You don't seem like a beach guy. I mean by that, you don't seem like a vacation guy. Like You sort of seem married to the process. This married is... to my process. I'm not a vacation guy. I like to travel, but I'll make it part of my process. Right. I, everything I do, I lace into my work culture. But my work culture is very broad and vast. I, there's photography involved, garment design, color studies, uh, cultural, you know, how to influence people. Whether, you know, in a positive way, either employees or customers or how to connect to people, how to motivate. So it's psychological. It's, too, you know, it, it, it's visual arts. It's um, – there's so much to it. It's so broad that it's almost – even even listening to the news is important or <clears throat> understanding uh, certain themes in popular culture, whether it be the Game of Thrones or whatever – just to understand like what people are watching or what's stimulating them in you know within the cultural landscape there you know of course there's different things to study but i have to study what's relevant to what i do and to what my market or listening to music for example what are the who are the relevant artists or it goes on and on it's it's there could be 70 hours in the day and and i can enjoy the process you know how much is are you trying to guess trends and project, or is it all what you I know, like? I'm not guessing trends. Right. I kind of get an idea where things are going because I know. Mm. I, I'm inside. Like, I know the trend of what's going on in within the context of my marketplace, and also I lead the trend. And how do you know that? It's not... Just intrinsically, like... I mean, how do I know what's happening? How do you know where it's going? I mean... Because I surround myself in it, I immerse myself in it, and but there's different there's different channels on the FM dial, but you know the for the music, or in this case it's the music, but it's a metaphor for the clothing taste that I like. I'm like inside it, and I know it. Do you? I remember I, I listened to you on the startup podcast, and there's a piece of it where you stop a bicyclist on the street, and you're like, "Who made that sweatshirt?" And I'm obsessed with the cut and the look of that thing. Mm. So how much of that is just your living experience, you absorbing in these influences from the outside? Is it oh, of nonstop? Course, a lot of that. Yeah, it's all day long. Sure. And was that sort of part of the culture at American and now where you would surround yourself with people that are setting the trends, like the 20-something? It's not really about age. Yeah. You, could, you know, people get a little lazier as they get older, but they don't have to. Like Carl Lagerfeld is... There's certain people as they get older, they just know. Right. You know, it's like certain guys, they get older or women or whatever, they're in the news industry. You know, they go into the battlefield. Yeah, there's a lot of younger people that do that. But there's some older guys that do it too. Right. You know, I mean, just the way it goes. You know, but how much of it, it's all observation. It's But also the ability to lead a trend as well because I have an influence on the culture. 
are you an autodidact in the sense of, from what I know of, of you and, and, and I've, I've done some good research, it seems like most of this is self-taught. It is. I mean, I don't, what did I learn from school? For example, that's or not self-taught. Any traditional schooling for yeah, fashion? Math, it's important, you know. You can't run a business without math. Algebra. Those are things like, you know, yeah. um, exp- you know, writing copy or knocking out a short essay or a paragraph or communicating with letters and words. That, I think, is school's important. N- knowing a little bit about history, you know art history or you know the history of the world or how things evolved or mm. how you know learning about manifest destiny in american culture or world culture these are important themes that i got out of school but as far as knowing how to run an apparel company and knowing how to um, you know be an influence within the fa- context of the fashion industry that's kind of self-taught and did you have any apostles in that way like people that sort of somewhat showed you the way early on or how did you pick it up there was some guys uh in the south i lived in south carolina for 10 years that guys that were in the manufacturing industry that showed me you know is how you knit fabric this is where you buy the yarn this is how you you know you dye the fabric this is how you cut the fabric this is how you make a marker this is how you how pattern design is done this is how you cut this is how you sew yeah there were some people that showed me the way but yeah, kind of. You gotta, you know, a lot of young adults come and say, "Hey, h- how do you do it?" You know, you're asking how you do it. You're too late. Out of the way. Really? Because you're not gonna, you know, you don't go to Kanye West and say, "How do you do it?" He knows how to do it. No one told him how to do it. He said, "This is how you do it." And mm. certain people lead, and that's it. You know. And, but is that again like is that just born out of it's a natural sort of ability like yeah there's certain people in every generation that have the ability to lead the culture not just because they have that ability doesn't mean it manifests itself they could be locked in prison or they might be born in the wrong city or you know what i'm saying or they were born in unfortunate circumstances or you know but certain people in our culture in, in, in every generation, in, basically in, in the human, even in birds, you see certain birds leave the flock. That's the way it goes. Can you track to your childhood or as a teen, you having a certain sort of um, a take on clothing or design that where you can see that it was born out of something when you were really young that yes. flourished? Yeah, I went when I was, you know... Uh, in my early teens, I would go to the United States from Montreal to, to, to Florida, Christmas time, whatever, and I'd really buy certain clothes, certain T-shirts, certain underwear, socks, whatever, in the United States. They were a little different than Canada, and I really took an appreciation to certain of the iconic products that were available in the United States that weren't available in Canada. They were just different, you know. Grass is always greener on the other side, and it was, you know, T-shirts and, and you know, cotton T-shirts, underwear, and socks was really iconic, American, you know, American, un- unique to the American uh, shopping experience. So there was a lot of protectionism between, you know, the different markets: Canada, Germany, United States. Everybody had their own T-shirt industry, and it was each one was heavily protected with duties and taxes. And what did it? What did Canadian T-shirts look like? 
they were a little different. The fits were different. The the the, the textures were different. The co- you know it was poly cotton a little bit more in Canada. The states was more in, had more cotton. There's a wider range of sizes in the United States because because it's such a big market. So I was a smaller boy, so I was able to get extra small, right? An extra small T-shirt, which I felt better about wearing than you know medium through extra large. That's you know it'd even be hard to find small sometimes in the Canadian market at that time. But I want, I was so small. Right. There's little nuances that were different at and, the time. And, this is prior to offshoring and right. And yeah. did you so when you find these things, like was there a was there a lust to wanna come to America and sort of do your thing here? Like Well, I was grew up in the Canadian market, uh in the, you know, in Quebec and I was in the Anglophone, you know, English speaking community and there was a nationalist movement where there was push for the French language um, to kind of dominate and, con- you know, confront the larger English market, you know. So there were movement to make all the signs in French. There was, like, a lot of weird things right. that were going on. Still- I don't like nationalism in the United States. I don't like nationalism in Quebec. I don't like nationalism anywhere. I don't like borders. Um so that's all. So going I on. so I felt like yeah, I want to get out of Quebec and join the larger market in the United States. And you know, when you listen to famous speeches by Ronald Reagan, the idea of Yukon to Yucatan, the larger market, you know, tear down Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. It's, it was about if you come out, you know, coming out of the Cold War in the mid seventies, which was, you know, I was six years old, or in the late early eighties, I was twelve, thirteen years old. The idea of you know capitalism and entrepreneurialism is the way yeah it's attractive. to you know that's the light that's this that's that's the spiritual solution yeah the true the, north yeah to the true north so that was exciting um and the united states presented that mm. america today is a lot less attractive to me it's like uh, insulated it's protectionist it's rejected globalism like I, I was li- listened to a speech by Ronald Reagan. The reason I mention it because I just listened to it the other day because an employee is, has no connection to what Ronald Reagan means. It's not like I was a big Reagan supporter. I think Reagan was very backward in terms of his vo- views on pro-choice and stuff like that. But he, he, what he was was a globalist, mm. and he wanted to bring the world together. You know, on issues of free trade. They believed in free trade, unlike Donald Trump, who's like a nationalist. Right. He's proud of that. Like to me, like you're proud of something you shouldn't be proud of. So it's kind of um, the notion now is a little bit restricted. So I'm less proud of America today than I was as a young adult. And yet you're still sort of building your new company here. Well, whatever. I live this here. Is... This is my home. My roots are here. I'm not going anywhere. And right. I believe in cities and communities. Right. And this is my community. I'm Los Angeles. You know, I'm Los Angeles is my home. Montreal is where I began, and Los Angeles is where I'm ending. You know, <laughs> you know. is it weird? I mean, those two communities had a profound effect on me, much more than the United States or Canada. I mean, Trump is weirdly positive in the sense of if you're going to have a business like yours, which is sort of homogenized within the U.S. and not looking to you know face tariffs from outsourcing throughout the world, right? I mean. So, what is he presenting? I'm saying in in a sense, like you're, you know, 
weirdly, and I, I totally agree with you with sort of Trump's America, but he, in some ways he's incentivizing doing it here. And I don't think he is. No? I think it's a front. I don't think he understands the complexities of manufacturing. Mm. I think he's a marketer first, and he doesn't think through the engineering. Um, so far, Trump has done nothing to support American clothing manufacturing that I can see. And it's not that he doesn't want to. I don't like he hasn't invited me or the right people that really understand it. For example, we were facing a 35% tariff on T-shirts into Europe right now, 37%. And it was 12 before he got in office. So how is that helping as we can't export clothing to Europe? That's like one of the best markets in the world. Right. And we're stuck. Okay. Got screwed out of that. That's so far what Trump's given the apparel industry. So what do you do? You know, I mean, just being, do you just, take just it? being candid, you know, Please. if he's listening, that didn't help out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then there's no, and if you go into China, there's all kinds of financing programs for automation, for apparel manufacturing automation, because the Chinese know manual labor is over. And we don't have any financing like that. So they subsidize the apparel industry in China. There's no subsidies here. Not that I, I'm looking for a subsidy per se. But there's no, there's no um, commitment to developing this industry, the clothing industry in the United States by the government. There's talk of made in USA. But it's not like, okay, well, are you, you going to facilitate? So far, all things being equal, it's been the Trump administration has been negative to the made in USA apparel industry due to the tariffs that we're faced with to export. Now, is, I support free trade. Worldwide free trade, yeah, there's a problem. We can't get our clothes into Brazil. We can't get our clothes into China. Very difficult. There's a lot of, it's a lot of false, like these, like barriers to exporting t-shirts into China. It's like it's a big runaround. Hmm. Okay, but of course they can bring their stuff over here. He's got some of the themes right, but he doesn't have the execution. He's not like okay, then immigrants. Immigrants are good workers they're motivated workers you know my workers are all you know we make we diligently make sure that they have the correct work documentation many you know 30 40 percent of them are u.s citizens you know all of them have green cards of course i'm sure there's an exception here and there but it's like we have a legit full shot yeah okay now how is it helping america that we don't have motivated immigrants to run not just work in the factory run the factory like my top guy here, Diego, is a DACA, you know, DACA recipient. Mm. You know, he's like on, but he's running the factory. He's like here now. He's doing it. He's making it happen. You know? What do you feel about because your history has always been so people centric, and you've always, you know, paid an above fair wage, and and it, it seems to have been this important through line through everything you've done. What do you think about automation coming? Automation is critical. To support jobs. I support automation and I'm a conservationist in terms of spent, you know, conservation means you buy the at the right price, you recycle, you make all your manufacturing, to, you know, it has to be um, efficient mm. and it means cutting corners at every at every end to make sure that you, you know, automate at every level you possibly can. And that allows to sustain the business financially and sustain an efficient business and, and allows you to pay fair wages rather than relentlessly pursue, pursuing cheap wages on the other side of a fence. 
But what about inevitably when it comes to a point where jobs are just purely... That never happens. Why? Because, um, because Adam Smith said so and he's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Adam Smith, the invisible hand doesn't allow that to happen. Because, you know, if people lose a job in one place, they'll go work. So that labor will gravitate towards something more efficient. And what if you look out at, at the floor of the factory in 20 years and... and oh, I mean, in 20 years, I, I can robots. have 10,000 employees. It won't be all robots. But what if it's half? It won't happen like that. No? Like if we were to just bring back 5% of the apparel industry um, back to the United States... You'd have negative unemployment. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, there's even if you automate to the guild, right? To the end of you know, it's there's too much opportunity, and automation is important. Every industry is going to automate. So what? There'll be jobs building all these automation devices, and to the extent if you can remove physical labor out of anything you're doing, you're doing uh, a good deed. Do you? So what? What inspired you early on to sort of make your your stand on paying more than a fair wage and bringing the work back to L.A.? Because that's sort of been a through line for you in your entire career. Where where was that born out of? To pay fair wages? No, I mean... Sorry, you, my, my mind wandered for a second. Sorry to say it again, please. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, you pay above fair wage, and it was it, it, of incredible importance for you to make in LA and for you to, you know, make sure that you were paying your workers. Well, where does that, where does that come from? Yeah. Where was it born? Well, out I of? mean, instead of just like sheer humanity, I think, I think some of my family members, particularly my grandparents were Yiddish immigrants from Europe. They were socialists. They worked, you know, my grandmother was a sample maker. My grandfather eventually had his own paint company where they'd paint, painting and decorating. But initially he was a paint worker. Mm. They supported the, you know, the NDP party in Canada, which is like a labor party. You know, there was a commitment to the betterment of the underprivileged in their cultural context. And I took that with me a little bit. And also in my mother's family, my mother particularly, there's always been concern. Right. For the rights of workers and people and, you know, to advance the – it's kind of potentially – it starts from the influence of having wor a working class uh, values within a family context. But also it emerges that uh, as I became – you know, I'm – of course, my father went to Harvard. I come from – I come from privilege without question, right? Um, his brothers went to Yale. We lived in some one of the finest communities in North America, in Westmount, Quebec. Forget it. It's beautiful. Yeah. We have everything to thank for. But then comes noblesse obligée, you know. Which What's that? Noblesse obligée is something that John F. Kennedy would speak to, you know, that the, the privileged have an obligation to, to, the un, to the less privileged to improve their lives. And that comes with the, that, that the nobles are obliged to do so. And that's, that's for sure. That's what Donald Trump, I think, also forgets is that as a man of privilege, you know, it's really like the manner in which a country treats its immigrants, is, hmm. it's judged by that. Do you think there's just a, a, there's a level of sociopathy to him? I wonder sometimes when people say, if only he did this or that, and I laugh only because I don't, think he's even capable of seeing it from that angle i, I don't think he's what, 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 where, his, where this guy's got a lot to offer the world is that he's he's a disruptor he upsets the apple carts and 
by challenging the system, good thing, you know, false opinions, John Stuart Mill once said, false opinions ultimately strengthen the truth. That the, he, he's got a right to exist and that he does exist only strengthens alternate opinions that are important as well. Hmm. Um, and he's, you know, really embodies the can-do spirit. And I do think he's confronting the politi politically correct left, the institutional left. I don't like the institutional right. I don't like I don't like the financialization of America by hedge funds and you know short term gain in order to advance stock price. Okay, I I, I don't like that. But I also don't like the institu institutionalization of the workplace by the left. I right. think there's two there's two forces that are kind of at work to curb um, creativity, innovation, and entrepreneur the entrepreneurial spirit uh, of, within the context of the American culture, and that you know they come from those two forces. One comes from the right, and one comes from the left, and they're both um, negative. Did that pose it? I mean, has that that uh, as you say, the institutional left, like that level of political correctness, has that posed a challenge? For you forever in, in all your business? No. No? No, because I think there's a backlash on that right now. I think it's caused a lot of problems. I think it's, ne it's a very negative aspect of – well, right now I see that problem to be beyond the borders of the United States. I think it's in all English-speaking cultures we have this problem. Which is? The politically correct left has like stultified – free speech within the context of the campuses or you can't say a certain, you can't even think freely. Right. You know, you can't even like utter something that may be perceived, you know, that's politically incorrect. You know, if you have a free society and free people, you have free to make mistakes. Free people have to have the freedom to make mistakes. Right. And you can't do that. <laughs> you know, if you make the wrong joke or you make the wrong reference or you maybe trespass in a certain uh, subject matter, within you know, into a certain subject matter in your speech, and then all of a sudden you're getting your hands cut off. There's also all the workplace rules. Like it's terrific that they're ra raising the minimum wages. Right, that's good. But on the other hand, how does anybody start up a new business? How does a little guy start? You know, say like is fifteen dollars an hour, and then what does it do to the people that really just want to like have a relax? You know probably these higher wages are going to require that we really clock and push the employee to produce because we got $15 an hour, is 30 grand plus taxes and insurance is $40,000 a year. It means we, for every head we got to make, like, just to break even, the company's got to make, a company has to make 40 grand. So it, it ends up, you know, you got to clock people, make sure they punch out, punch in, follow all the workplace rules. That does, although I support these rules, Sure. On the other side, it's it's everything's happening so fast, and there's no thoughtfulness. Say, well, if it's a tiny small business, do they need to do all these things? You <laughs> but, know. It, but thematically, like from uh, and tell me if I'm wrong. From what I know, and and knowing so much about American, and now what you're talking about now, it seems like that is something you've you've rallied against, saying like, for what I do and my work, I can't have my my hands tied in these 
ways like having that balance of being that like driving force ambitious like my gut what i believe is what made this a success and yet you're forcing me to question these things at every turn i i guess to my point it just seems like what you're saying now thematically has been something you've struggled against forever it's like you think about Elon Musk or these people, these great innovators who build these things and then they're forced into sort of um, a manager of people sort of scenario. And so like Elon has come under fire because of some like mis, um, missteps that he's made. Like that he can't throw a chair across the room? Is that, was that one of them? Yeah, I think so. Did he, well, did, did he throw well, a chair? Well, they all do. You're not supposed to yell at people. But or... this is what I'm talking about. I don't believe in that crap. I think so it's tell important me. to sometimes pick up a chair and throw it way across the cafeteria and smash it. Did he it do that? It. No, but I mean, if someone were to do that, I think that kind of or animated... smoke weed on Joe Rogan or you know, like I think that kind of animated behavior mm. is good. Yeah, it's important. I mean, if some people want to quit because they don't like it, that's great. But are the great? I mean, are like I, I don't know if Bezos is a good example, but like, it, what is that extra level of CEO? Are the great titans of industry? able to navigate both be incredible innovators while also being these perfect sort of models they can't be perfect in those models that's a fantasy okay yeah of course you could be a if that because then you only the restrained and carefully calculated right then can proceed so if einstein is restrained and carefully calculated he gets to go past go right but then if einstein is crazy and has an extreme personality and marries his cousin, his first cousin. Sure. Well, he doesn't get to pass, go pass, go. So what do get you past, do? Go. Especially, what do you do? I mean, he Can, could they, be... Freedom's important, and liberty is important, and that's not being protected in this society right now. So how do you that's operate? That's the biggest threat. You can, you, there's going to have to be a back... There has to be a revolution to What's support that look the like? First Amendment. That What that, look, look, the, that looks like? Yeah. When millennials and Gen Z figured out that Big Brother took over their freedom. In order, in the in the name of safety, in the name of everybody being happy, right? But what did we lose? We lost innovation. We lost the right to be different. We lost the right to scream "fuck you" in the middle of Times Square, and take your T-shirt off and take your pants off and stand there in your underwear and put your finger out. That's an important liberty. Mm. Like, can we walk around in Times Square today? In your underwear, high, smoking pot, barefoot. You can, right? I don't know, man. I don't know either. I wouldn't want to have my daughter try. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's risky. Yeah. They just, and the judges, well, they're a bunch of conformists too. What happens? Where are the judges? They're saying, First Amendment's first. Mm. Yeah. He walked, like when, when they had, there were like famous court cases. Like when a guy walked in with a T-shirt that said, fuck the draft, you know, will the judges of today support that kind of liberty and freedom? Yeah, some things are offensive. Like you take some, like, do I support the right of the Nazi party to walk down, um, down you know, a major Charlotte artery of Don, no, right here in downtown Los Angeles and have... Some kind of Nazi manifestation? Yes, their liberty is critically important to me. As and I, as a Jewish person who has has had ancestors fall under the sword of the Holocaust, okay, 
and 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 die, you know, from in in the, in Nazi Germany, like dozens of relatives. Still, I support the rights. You know, I don't believe in protections against hate speech and all that stuff. I'm very very strict on the First Amendment or things like the exclusionary rule on evidence. The evidence was gathered inappropriately hmm. to the point that the search warrant was defective. It has to be excluded. Those are very important. Those are American ideas that were developed earlier in the arc of our culture. Problem is right now, the right sucks and the left sucks. Because Donald Trump is very happy. But is that a false equivalency? What do you mean? The right sucks. Does and there are parts of the left that suck, but does they it suck do. less? No, they. Well, the left is a little bit. The left seems to be. It's a little safer for the average. Hmm. But American, you know, and the right is a little. The right right now is it's anti-immigrant. It's 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 anti-diversity. Like if I have to pick Democrat or Republican. I'm rolling Democrat, but sure. Uh, I'm not, but but there's something else. There's something about liberty. Like I want to make sure, like Andy Kaufman or crazy people or Lenny Bruce of tomorrow, is protected. That's what's important. That Steve Jobs, you know, or some of you know the great thinkers of tomorrow, the equivalent, the, whatever these people are tomorrow. I don't know their names yet. But that a young entrepreneur of tomorrow can be as crazy as they want to be without hurting other people. Sure. You know, it's not like if I get my heels on and throw on my Los Angeles Peril underwear, right? Take my shirt off and wear a massive like pink, uh, pink wig or something that's going to hurt anybody. But yeah, you you could get arrested in many parts of the United States behaving like that. Could you? For what? I think you can. But I think you can. Oh, this, that. Indecency. You, they'll find some but way. Could you look like you like? Look, can you run your business today in your underwear? Can someone? Can a woman? Or man? Because it's women are kind of like a protected class for the moment, right? Can a man just say, you know what? I'm I'm just going to come to work high every day. I'm working in my underwear. I'm not wearing my shirt. That's it. How long is that going to last? No, I I don't think you can do that at all. Pardon me? I don't think you could do that at all. I mean, that's a problem. Because why can't... Because it's infringing? Why can't someone run their business the way they want to run their business? You understand? It's like, it's scary because you're not going to have... Yeah, Obama gets through because he's calculated, he's restrained, he, 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 he does, he, he's very cautious on what he says and how he says it. So there's a version of Einstein, the Obama version of Einstein, gets past go. But the real version of Einstein, you see, Obama's a good example of someone that always gets checked the box, he's well-behaved. Now, it's not, but not every great thinker is well-behaved. Many of them aren't, many of them are. Many, I'm not saying right. that, you ha- you know, that you have to have, that all great thinkers are, have bad behavior. But I don't think behavior is a litmus test, right? You know, for whether you should be able to get past go or not. 
But you talk about like these things that are important to you, like the $15 an hour and that you, these certain protections, but then it becomes, the debate becomes, well, where's the line, right? So do these protections go towards, well, that you shouldn't have to look at your boss in his underwear because it's, it's a, it's compromising the workspace, you know, does it go that far or is it just stop at the $15? No, it's everything's in balance and everything is. But who decides the balance? We do. Well, I I think we have to balance personal freedom and liberty with efficiency. There is a balance, but what I don't. I, but there should be no compromise on the First Amendment, and I believe right now we're experiencing. Con- I've been look. I've sure. been through the justice system. It's there. Do you think judges care about the court of public opinion today? In your opinion, yes or no? Do I think judges care about the court of public opinion? They shouldn't. But yeah, maybe they, they do. do. Yeah, they do more than ever. Because of the media, because they're elected in many cases. Sure. They care about the court of public opinion. So they can't really come out with very unpopular decisions but how that you... maybe society hates. The most hated are supposed to have the protections of the First Amendment. Not the most, not just the liked. Like I've watched, you know, judges take the side, right. for example, of... You know, they want, they rather take the course of conformity or take the course of politically correctness. Conformity is what the right wants. Politically correctness is what the left wants. But both of them are just conformity anyway. But here you are, right, having gone through everything you've gone through and you've got this, I mean, just to give the listeners an insight, like you've got this massive setup, huge employees, like your second act looks unbelievable and you are... You know, no one's stopping you from operating the way you want yeah, to. Yeah, because there are, America still exists and right. liberty still exists. So you made it through. Yeah, yeah, I made it through. But it, but liberty is being confronted. Mm. That's the biggest risk. Border free, like, oh, borderless, terrible. Of course there should be no borders. Borders in general are a compromise to, to human rights. There should be, if a kid in Jakarta wants to open up a Starbucks in Anaheim, Let's go. That's you, a, you know, I never believed in borders. All these people are, oh, we have to have borders. We have to build a wall. Fuck off. That would people fight for the Cold War. Hmm. What were we telling? What were we telling, you know, what were we saying in the Cold War? We're saying liberty for everybody. Mr. Gorbachev turned on the wall. It's a lie. We, do, we have a much more relaxed uh, sort of migration policy than even compared to somewhere like your homeland, right? I mean, mean it's, it's easier to become a citizen of America than it is Canada. What's your source on that? I mean, we can look at it. We can Google it. States, Google it? Fuck off. <laughs> oh, are I we not? I believe it's easier to become. It is. Uh, who said so? Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan? I mean, we could look it Joe up. Joe Rogan is But I think authority? I have sources. What research is Joe Rogan in? What is his source? I mean, Find here me we are talking. Five minutes. We, we can look. I'm taking you on. Find me the source. Okay, I will look for that before we're done. Um, you my won't next... find it is my point. Uh, you have no evidence of that. That's but you have no evidence, and it's not. I, I, and I'm it's a easier Canadian to be a contrarian. Citizen, there's my Canadian birth certificate. But you didn't have to apply for citizenship to Canada. I have. You, you're a naturalized citizen. I, I understand. I was born in Canada, but I'm not going to say that it's easier to become. I don't believe that if you're someone in Europe and you want to move to the United States or Canada, that it's easier to. I think the. It's much harder for Europe to, to become come a to citizen Canada versus the United States. Oh, I don't know what the immigration policy is from. No, I think, yeah, I think it's much. I think if, Cana- Canadian immigration policy right now 
is a, it's a far more open door than it is in the United States. I that's think my, for refugee, refugee status, perhaps. From all statuses. All right. It's easier to get into Canada than the United States right now. It is basically impossible to get into the United States. It's either going to happen through an H-1, which you have to have specialized knowledge, or it's going to happen off a lottery, which I think they're canceling, hmm. or it's going to happen off, their, off of family reunification. How else? Do you, or it's going to you're going to be transferred from a foreign company to a U.S. company, and you you're a management employee in the foreign company. I don't know of any, and I'm an expert in immigration. I've helped naturalize at least a thousand people. Yeah, I don't think it's hard. It's easier to become an American, like that idea that it's easier to become an American than a Canadian. No, I don't believe that to be so. I think that it's very difficult to become either one. I think it's you know now if you want to enter the United States illegally or enter Canada illegally, like where could you probably survive in the society? It's probably about equally you can work under the table in either society. Sure, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like if so, you want to work as a cleaning lady, or you want to start a street business, you can, or you want to sell you know marijuana on the street. You probably do it in both. You know, you're not going to get deported that easily. Can you? <laughs> Can you look to specific like when we talk about the Elon about Elon throwing the chair or I don't know that for sure I don't have a source for whomever the chair but I think I think I like animated I know what you mean. behavior I something think like it's that good. or like, like let's when say, I have an employee but let's say the tweet animated, right I like, it. like the tweet right that Which got him tweet? in trouble the, the tweet twenty tweet no the tweet that he was gonna possibly take the company private and then he got in you know the SEC crushed him for it made him step down as chairman and pay that huge fee 20 million dollar fine yeah yeah i don't know the factual basis uh i don't know what the true facts are i'm not a fact finder no i'm just like i'm just using those examples of those like behaviors by these innovators these missteps and i feel like you have throughout your career been pretty unapologetic in certain respects to saying like this was what was required this is part of my story like can you do you look, do you look back at any any certain specific moments and go ah you know what i stand by it and yet fuck if i had just taken a different route perhaps i would have made it easier for myself like are there just specific moments the only the only thing i could think specifically that is wrong was trust other people and at certain points that I shouldn't have trusted. Really? I mean, that's I kind of like... names, but I could tear some people down. But that's an interesting... That, that's an interesting turn no, of if phrase. You have a, if you have... I was the victim of trusting people too much? Yeah, that's the, probably the biggest, biggest misfortune that great entrepreneurs have been faced with. Really? Absolutely. That's probably it, because you, you choose your board members, for example, or... You have the right to appoint certain board members, right? Right, or I interviewed Robert, by the way. Yeah, just just because I'm fascinated by him. But like, so to that point, right? Was that you... no? But if you in corporate governance, a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about that. But their directors may not be, may not have the talent. They may be ignorant. They may not have the time. Mm. You know, boards make mistakes, and it can kill a company. And you think that's what happened for you? I, I don't want to get into the details of it, but I was I was I was a victim of I was disenfranchised as a shareholder of American Apparel illegally, and it's black and white. And I then was also um, a victim of securities fraud. When I tried to get the company back, I collaborated with a hedge fund to retake the company, 
And it, I was double-crossed a second time in the space of 30 days because I said, okay, let's go back in. We'll do a hostile takeover of your company. We'll put you back in. And I personally financed it with my own money. Only they took the company, didn't right. let me back in, threw me out of the getaway car, and I was betrayed twice. Now, where what I, I first of all, I was disenfranchised. Both of those acts are illegal. Both of those acts are crimes, whether prosecute prosecutor chooses to prosecute them or not i don't that's that's at their discretion sure they haven't okay but now i shouldn't i should have been more cautious and careful because one thing that i'll tell you is when you have power people will try and take it away from you and they always will and they always have and mostly very highly talented uh people that uh are very gifted often don't understand how hostile the world is to them. And that's one that is a big risk for anyone that rises in a position of power in our culture. And I'll tell you right now, it's even more dangerous. The culture has been never the, the culture is extremely predatory right now, especially for high profile uh entrepreneurs and high profile artists, because uh the media is hostile. Because the media wants to sell, needs clickbait bad. They don't really, they're not that interested in the truth. That's the whole narrative that Donald Trump talks about fake news. Yeah, they'll drive news whether it's true or not as long as it's driving interest. But like, they're, they're attention seeking, the media. Mm. And, the, 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 and, and by the way, the, 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 the viewer, the reader, wants to consume certain incendiary material whether it's true or not anyway. But you know. like when, when Robert was interviewed on the Startup Podcast, he sort of said something to the effect of, I was very much um, sort of honored that, that Dove loved my books so much and, and flattered. And I sort of said to him initially when he asked me to be a part of the board, like, listen, I can help you with certain power things, with perception. But when it comes to running a company or, you know, the finances and, and that end of it, like, I'm of no help. So – in that respect, like when you're appointing board members, what are you taking into consideration? As a very, this is like a this is like a ten hour long discussion to talk about how what you consider when you appoint board members. But the but, best defense I can give to Robert but, is that he was led led us. He didn't have the experience. He trespassed into an area that he shouldn't have, and he was led to a place where he ended up committing securities fraud. And there's no, I'll never that's that's it, because I reelected three board members on June eighteenth, two thousand and fourteen, based on a proxy, a written statement that was filed with the SEC that stated that I should be both the chairman of American Apparel and the CEO of American Apparel, and I relied on that information. But do you insulate? Hang on. I relied on that information through June seventeenth. Sure. The at midnight casted my vote on the eighteenth at eleven a.m. Elected, re-elected three board members who collaborated with two others, five on a board a board of nine seats. So five, only one. With one flipped, it would be changed. And I elected three and had a blocking position to elect those three board members because I own stock, ownership, property rights is critical in capitalist culture. And I was disenfranchised as I was tricked, 
illegally into voting for those three people because I could have I could have appointed my mother, my mother's sister, and my mother's brother onto that board mm. instead of these three people, which I believe one of them included Robert. Now, I reelected those three people on a false pretense. So I was disenfranchised as a shareholder. I'm a victim. I, was, I don't care what bad acts they think I committed. They shouldn't have said they love me, that they support me in the information circular. And then it would have been, well, who's right and who's wrong in corporate America today? Who's right? Who's wrong? Depends on the shareholder decides. The ownership decides. I was ownership. He is an elected director. And they tricked me into electing them, proceeded then on an, on an, within an hour to remove me. Now, at that very moment, freeze. I should have invalidated the election walked into a courtroom in Delaware and said this was an illegal election. Why didn't you? I mistakenly was misadvised by my lawyers. It was, it was a state of shock. And, you know, you don't always make the right call when you're in a legal emergency. Would you have... But my, uh, no, my no, hang on. Is... You want to hear the story? I'll tell you. Sure. So then a hedge fund contacted me that knew me well within 24 hours or 48 hours or whatever it was. And they said, hey, we can just buy more stock. You already have so much stock in American Apparel. Why don't we just buy a little more? We'll give you a loan on the stock you have. And then we'll just plow in there, enlarge the board, and take over. Throw them out or enlarge the board so much we can, you know, we'll take the five guys. We'll, the board is a board of nine. There's five. We'll make it a board of 15. Sure. So I said, that sounds like a swell idea. If I can get back in there in a few days, sure. And guess what? We got control of the company in a few days. And I financed it. I financed it. I was the money. And then from there, the hedge fund took over the company. So what happened was I trusted people. I trusted someone to help me rescue my company by way of a hostile takeover that I paid for. My money. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. So I say you got to be careful with your position of power because you can't be tricked. Why would a hedge fund insert itself into this situation? Tell me in writing. That the goal was to get me back in only to take control because they sought control because they really wanted control of the asset over them for themselves, you know. But so that's what happened to me. So that's so what I say, well, what have I done this different, done that different? I don't care what bad acts, if there was a bad act, if there was a bad act that led up to my removal, for example. What was that? If, I mean, I, I disagree that there was, but that's subjective, right? One guy says he behaves well. One guy says he behaves not sure. well. But there is, in the law, in federal law, California law, and Delaware law, a duty to be truthful, the truth, on information that you provide to shareholders in the United States of America. And Robert Greene and other shareholders were untruthful with shareholders in a public company shareholders of a public company, including myself, on the New York Stock Exchange. And that blemishes on him forever. And I don't care what the media, and do most journalists understand the narrative I just told you? No. Sure. Do I care? No. Do I know I'm right? I absolutely do. I get it. Yeah. So, but yeah. Now, if I can't afford today to fight it out or whatever, yeah. So I've now moved on. But my question is. Company. Your question is, was there little things you could have done no. better along the way? Well, that's obvious. I don't cry over little things. I built a company. 
I sold billions of dollars of clothes. But it, this company was making money. In spite of what you might read on Google. When you say Google, I want to laugh. Or Wikipedia. Well, or we're not talking about Fox News. Okay. Fox schmocks. <laughs> Fox is no It's just a search engine, Dove. But Google's, real informa- Google's just Real a- information <laughs> is not always what you find on the World Wide Web. All right. Okay. So what this company was generating in the year that it was ousted... 45 million, it was predicted to, and it did. Our guidance was 40 to 45 million dollars of earnings before interest, tax, and depreciation, and amortization. And we achieved that even though I was ousted. Like, if I could build a company again, or if most people in the United States could build a company in their lifetime that generates 40 something million or more of earnings per year, that's such a high accomplishment. You know, right. in 2014 dollars, because you know, yeah, it's unfortunate what happened, but who really suffered? Workers, the community, the economy. Ten thousand jobs were lost, and the company was profitable, but on my, an EBITDA basis. My question is, with when it comes to Robert, like you hear, Kara Swisher was interviewing someone ta- talking about sort of the board of Facebook and all the shit that Facebook's faced over the last year and Sandberg and Zuckerberg. And she talks about the chair people there, like a Mark Andreessen or a Peter Thiel. And she goes, they're never going to fucking tell Mark Zuckerberg anything because he's made them obscenely rich. But let's suppose that one day in a year from now, Mark Zuckerberg gets in a lot of trouble and all of a sudden Andreessen and Thiel aren't there. And he's like, well, what happened? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg was smarter than Dove Charney. He's got the right representatives and he's made sure, yeah, if I was just a little wealthier and had a little bit better, little bit better advisors the day that I got in a short hair with, 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 with my board, the, the line between me owning American Apparel right now and it being a multi-billion dollar company and not was a sh- few decisions that were made over a sh- few short minutes. But was it the mistake of putting them in that position in the Whatever. first place? They should, first of all, that you, you got to assume board members are not going to act like criminals. But you can't really, right? Because you got to be really careful. But can't you insulate yourself by bringing on people that have experience as being board members of massive, hopefully, apparel no, companies? No, because they could be conventional thinkers. What if I will tell you, I, I'll tell you, like as smart as, 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 as Robert Greene might be, maybe he was led astray. I mean, he wasn't the ringleader of, of my ousting. There was somebody else. There was, they wanted to sell the company from underneath me, and I have written evidence to the effect. Mm. Somebody wanted to sell the company, the CFO, and I didn't. That's for sure. I, I mean, I found a letter. I found a memo. They wanted to sell it from underneath me, and they had strategized as remove the CEO, hire an interim replacement, and sell the company four months before. Before the, before the proxy statement with the information saying that I was God's gift to the earth, you know, and that I should be the CEO and both the chairman and so forth. Before the election, sure. before all that, there was the money was evil because a lot of times the financial forces don't want volatility that involves Elon Musk, that involves Dove Charney, right. that involves the, the, the founder of, 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 of Uber and all that. They don't want it around. Right. Because it's not predictable. But do you think, can I ask you this? 
And this is me not Googling, but talking just from like a humanistic yeah. standpoint. I think the desire for some of our leaders, be it at the highest political office or CEOs of company or what right. have you, are the ability in which to like give a true mea culpa in certain situations, right? To, to say, listen, I built this great thing. I'm incredibly talented. Yes, like I could have done X, Y, Z better or like in the moment to really own up and it feels like it just doesn't happen in this world anymore. Do you feel like- There's a thousand things one could say they did wrong, but you don't run over somebody and say, well, you sure you, you really needed to be on the edge of the sidewalk? Or maybe you shouldn't have been walking on the street. But if someone accelerated towards you and hit you, you know what I mean? Like you're asking, you know, should Jews apologize for the Holocaust? No, I'm not. Well, come on. It's the same thing. Like, no, it's it, not. Th- in many cases, it is. No, if that's they not were what I'm saying. a victim of something illegal. No. You're asking somebody who was a victim of something. I'm asking I, if, let me explain. <laughs> I'm not saying the that intrinsic at all. Va- okay, the in- <laughs> no, but it's like it, if the intrinsic value. If I was robbed, if I was a victim of securities fraud, okay, like I can't start walking around. Apollo, I was a victim of security. It's like, I should have my money. I should be wealthy. Maybe that's it. I was, all of my wealth was stolen from me. Hmm. So I'm not about there to have this. I, I have no money. I don't even have $10,000. Really? The hedge fund got a judgment against me for $30 million because I borrowed money against my stock in order to, to grandite, get more stock so I could take, a, do, take, take over, retake over the company and correct the harm that was done by the first proxy fraud on June 14th. By July 15th, I was purportedly back in control. Only the hedge fund hijacked that control from underneath me, all in the space of 21 days. Now, if when I took over the company that day, you know, that uh, now I was double-crossed twice in a very short time. The, the hedge fund took advantage of the chaos to advance their own interests. Now, my point is, I'm not about to. I lost everything, and then they sued me for thirty million dollars. Right? They happened? sued me. For, they won because I signed. I had a borrowing agreement in order to buy more stock to take over the company, and somehow yeah. they slipped into the control seat. They betrayed me. Okay, now being broke, judgment against me for thirty million dollars, no money, living in a factory, having basically lost all my assets. I have no value. You understand? I have no way of making any money unless I go bankrupt, basically, or win a judgment against American Apparel or Robert Greene or the board or whatever, all these people, or the hedge fund. Like, I have plaintiff litigation, but I don't have a lot of money to finance that litigation. Right. Like, I've already paid my price. And now, the only thing I have left is my freedom to start a new business. And that's what I'm doing. I got to focus on the new company. The new company's owned by a trust that's controlled by my family. There's nothing illegal about it. Mm. It's the, the trust. So it's property. financed by your by your family? No, it's not. Ish. Able to, ish, but no, there was outside investors. But the formation of the company was uh, did not involve me putting any money into it. A very small amount of money was put into it. Right. A couple hundred thousand dollars by family members in order to catalyze the beginning. But then we raised money from... From other parties, you know, the yeah. company in itself sold convertible notes, et cetera, et cetera, raised money, borrowed money. By the way, the workers themselves lent money to the company. 
And are these some people that you work with in America? Only. Mostly only. 99% of the workers are from American Apparel. And how did you how did you reach back out to them? You just had No, them... they they were with me the whole time. They they watched me lose control of the company. Right. And thanks to a deceitful board that betrayed the stakeholders of American Apparel, including the stockholders and the workers, basically from that point on the company collapsed. They removed the Elon Musk of the company. And it collapsed, like went straight to a zero right away. It was didn't take it didn't take years. It happened in months. Then they went chapter eleven, blamed it all on me, got a new fresh lease, new money, started again. It collapsed a second time months later. So you had a double bankruptcy. And and they had to how was that for you? Were you was there a small part of you that was pleased? Watching it fucking crash for the second time you know, without you. That, that 10 cents of happiness is lost by $50 of sorrow. I built a world-class company that was paying fair wages and that was profitable and providing people with clothes that are made in a sustainable environment, like the, the manner in which the clothes are made. Right. So how much hooray can you want half? For me, it's a loss for the community. The business would have lasted forever. Not forever, but like Levi's been around for 200 years. It's part of the culture. It was completely destroyed. So now I'm here. I'm not bitter because I can't make money and I can't grow and I, I'm, I have to be positive. You can't? Like I can't, today? No, I can't. If I can't grow and be positive and be great if I'm focused on you know, the past. And then you get these journalists such as yourself asking, what did you do? Like, look, I got creamed, man. No, I, I, I know, hear but you. I mean, I don't think anybody knows. You don't know, really. I didn't, you didn't understand. It's not in the internet. It's hard to find the story. I look at the garments I made that I didn't like. I look at all the little things that I did that I would do differently, and I'm trying to make, build this company totally. to be stronger and better. But for no. me to sit there with a violin and start looking at the little things that I did wrong, it's nauseating to me. You know, no, I, I I hear you, and the only my only sort of line of questioning has to do with like so much of what you've done is virtuous, Dove, and it, it's no bullshit. Like I I so see your passion and what you've done for other people, and you've put people first your entire career, and like at, to your point, you've had this massive sort of thing that was like f- supporting and put people first, and if if in the face of that, like. For instance, like if in the face of all that, people had just said like, and the only other thing you can't do is eat almonds anymore, right? Let's <laughs> just say. And you're like, what do you mean I can't eat almonds? I like almonds. What the fuck? Like it's not illegal to eat almonds. I enjoy almonds. Right. They're like, you just can't eat almonds. Don't ask. You can't fucking eat almonds. Would you just have not eaten the almonds? Would you have just been like, all right. Not if eating the <laughs> almonds though was, was, was core to my humanity. You know, no. I don't believe it's right. Like, I don't believe just because Elon Musk wants to smoke some pot on a show mm. that he just can't function or go forward. You know, the truth is there is this overwhelming majority of people that like honesty and integrity and appreciate people's humanity. And I think smoking pot on the show only strengthened people's affection for Elon Musk. I think so, too. Right. So, you know... The invisible hand is giving me a second chance right now. Yeah. Not the, not the media, the people. You know, like people want to see, you know, I think there is a lot of support 
had a lot, a lot of support in what I'm doing right now. I think there was a lot of support in the past. Don't forget, they spent millions. I mean, they had a big staff on that board. They just didn't have Robert Greene, who's brilliant, and I respect him. Yeah. Okay. They had uh, Alan Mayer, who's one of the most well-known PR guys in the world. And he was, he was on my board, and they carefully utilized Citric and company, and they spent millions of dollars on PR. But still, I'm able to rise. Because the public, and that's why Donald Trump is a phenomenon. Because the, the, the mainstream media really, fought, really, really tried to use every device they had to take him down for whatever reason. They might not even realize what they're doing. But I remember, I'll never forget. And this is why people, this, they're making a martyr. The mainstream media is making a martyr out of Donald Trump. Interesting. Because, you know, when it said 90% sure Hillary's going to get in and then that needle went to 10%. They look stupid. Mm. The New York Times isn't trustworthy because the New York Times, most media has been pulled, is, is like kind of suffered. It's, got, it's, it's kind of gotten more partisan. CNN was never this partisan. Like when you listen to, uh, to uh, Lemon, what's his first name? Don again? Lemon. Don Lemon. Whew. That guy's on a mission. All night. And what do you think yeah. that's a result of? That's 24-hour that news polarized, media. We're in a polarized culture. It's dangerous. Or, it's predatory. Or is it just the almighty dollar, right? Is that before there Who was 24-hour news. Who knows what it is. They need it's sensationalism. All it's all of these things, but it's not a healthy environment for creative thinking, yes. alternative ideas, okay? One Oh, eat the almonds? Out the door, you're dead. You know, it's just too, it's, it's the, even this interview is risky for me. Like, if I really think about it, I'm in litigation, they'll use bits and pieces. Sure. A friend of mine said the worst thing you can do is a documentary, you'll probably end up in jail. (laughs) Not because you're guilty of anything. Not because you're guilty of anything, because it gives, it's a vehicle, an one thing, or how it's interpreted, or how it's seen, and then the judges, it's not like the judges are going to protect you. And can you even get in front of a jury? Because you could lose on motions for summary judgment or the jury could be boxed out of the facts. Like it's a scary time to be an artist or an alternative thinker in America today. Like did they try to gun down Donald Trump because he said this on the bus or he, he did this or he did that or he had something, you know, we don't even know what the hell, they went after him so hard. Mm-hmm. They made a martyr out of him practically, you know what I mean? Um, now the, his fan base, they're going to get out and vote. Right. Like they, that Mueller report, it exonerated him on, on the central issue of collusion with the Russians. It's like anybody that has any love for Donald Trump is going to get out of bed and make sure they vote. There's going to be voter turnout. It's, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough for any opponent. So I, <laughs> I don't mean to get away from this, but I, I do want to ask you because I am fascinated. Like we have our mutual friend, Ryan Holiday. And my question is to your point and, and what you did such a good job of is early on bringing people like Ryan who when he started working for you, he was 23. 
22. Yeah. Like you took a shot bringing, you know, these really smart young people and putting them at pretty, I mean, executive level positions. That's correct. And someone like Ryan, who's gone on to write eight books and sort of be like, for better, for less, a sort of preeminent voice in, in his world. What did you, what did you see? What did you see in I young mean, well, people like that? I don't like look that? at the resume. Had... I don't always think, I'm just going to grab some water. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you in a second. Gotcha. First of all, all the institutional norms of how we evaluate people, we look at their resume, where their educational credential is. Yeah, if someone went to Harvard versus they didn't finish high school, I'd probably have a better shot with the person that went to Harvard. But it could be the person that didn't finish high school is actually a better employer. Employee. Why? Because I could see, like, hey, I didn't go, I wasn't interested in school. I went on, I've done my own thing, but I'm a really good, I, I have certain talent. I'm a programmer. I know, how to, I know how to use the camera. You know, you have some kid from Harvard, but he doesn't really know how to do anything except take a test, you know? Or it's like there's certain, like what we have learned to consider important. I can size up people. Meet people. What I can almost take first? anything. Give me a thousand people. We go, give me a thousand random people. I can take six, eight hundred of them and hire them and they can help me build the business because I don't even look for what I'm looking for. I'm looking first when I meet the person, what can they offer? Yes. What can I get out of them? What is, what is their secret strength? What is their dream? What are they passionate about? What light do they follow and get that out of it? So often I just meet people. Like if I had a lot more money, I just keep hiring. I'd be interviewing and hiring. It's a creative, like I'm an impressionist painter as far as setting up the team. Right. And this is not what institutional, financial, you know, financial, like w were certain institutional forces frightening me? Yeah, this hedge fund, by the way, that – took over the, when initially they actually maybe even wanted to help me take over the company. Or maybe they said, well, we'll give them the impression we're helping them, but we won't give them as much. Eventually, though, they got so frightened by some of the notions, you know, of how, oh, my God. Like, when they realized how culturally important this company was, potentially, and I'm just speculating, they might have come and said, you know what, we, we, we better manage ourselves. Who is it? I don't. I'm okay, Marcos. Like I met that guy on 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 Instagram. Really? Yeah, he is. He's he pretty reached committed. out to you. Yeah, he said, "I really want to work for you." Boom, he's here. And like, what if does someone he do? really wants to work for you, that's that's a signal that not necessarily good because it could just be a groupie or whatever. But I'm just saying, there's certain there's you know you could find something in someone that other people don't see. Other people like I ran the way I ran my stores, the way I run retail. It was so different, radically different than what the institutional norms were. And who fucking cares? That doesn't institutional norms are not necessarily right. That's a fallacy. Mm. Fallacy. You know where I learned something in high school? There was a there was a an old friar. I don't know. He's, he was a he was the the Christian religious spiritual leader at a prep school, and you know I'm just. A Jewish boy, but he ended up being my favorite teacher, you know, because he's a good Christian, I guess, mm. and he understands any good Christian, any Jew, any good person of any faith knows that teaching all people of all faiths 
is important. And he certainly understood that. We took a class called ethics. And then we studied fallacies. And so, you know, like when I said, what's your source? Like whether it was easier to enter Canada or the United States. I know you, you heard it. But, you know, you, we probably don't have the, there's no, we don't have the science and the research behind that. You know what I'm saying? And how much do, does anyone have behind that in well, everything the, they you could do, you could do a study and check, or we could really research it and check. The problem right. is the facts are getting blurry. And it's because opinions are, opinions are moving far more rapidly over the internet than, you know, research facts and science. Sure. Okay, so... But it's hard in this setting, in a conversation. I mean, we're only taking what we've accrued. What I'm saying our... is not always, not everything always is the way it seems. And you ask me, like, it's scary. Like, instant, like what's considered true and, you know, what's considered the right way and the wrong way. Entrepreneurs that challenge society. Like, I remember when they came out with the iPhone. They did an interview, the two owners, the, the, the two guys controlling BlackBerry at a hockey rink somewhere in Canada. I said, do you remember this one? They said, are you worried about the iPhone? And they said, are you crazy? It doesn't have a keyboard. Because conventional wisdom was keyboard's better. Right. A lot of people felt like that. But they had some inside knowledge. They had some, they were placing a bet that no one's going to be a shit about a keyboard. <laughs> that they're going to prefer not having the keyboard because muscle memory will take, will take shape. You understand? And people will just prefer to have no keyboard after a while. And they were right. That's, that's what keeps America alive. You know, or, or the, and America's really a metaphor for something much larger because manifest destiny, if we understand what America really was for, it was that the flag of liberty will fly everywhere on this earth beyond the borders of America. You understand? That's truly what we're here for was that life, liberty, property, pursuit of happiness would bring happiness to all people. You saw, yeah. So like what I'm trying to – what I'm, where am I going with this? Where were we? Because I'm getting lost in my journey of bullshit. But um, <laughs> Are you still addicted to Nescafe? Yes. Are you? Yeah. It's always good to have a little caffeine. You needed to get by? Yeah, I needed. But what I was trying to say is that alternative thinking is so important in mm. our society. That's what keeps America's can-do spirit. It's that immigrants come here and challenge the aristocracy. Mm. You understand? Immigrants are not only great workers like mopping a floor. They're also great entrepreneurs. I'm an immigrant. I came here by choice. I didn't want to stay at home and live with my mummy and maybe try and garner up some little inheritance, you know. I I came to the U.S., you know, got figured out how to get my green card, figured out how to get U.S. citizenship, you know, on my own. Built a business, mm. pursued something. I'm an immigrant employer. You know, immigrants employ more Americans than Americans employ immigrants. And if you ask me my source, I'll try to find it for you. Okay. Do you, so now with this new company, mm -hmm. what's your, and you have to appoint a board. What's that board look like? Well, right now I'm not, it's, it's my father, me, and my CFO. And would it stay that way? I think, you know, really, my opinion, 
I want a very closely held board. I want to control my business. And that's it. I'm looking for control over it. Like if I could go back in time, I wouldn't have been, well, about appointing all these strangers. I'm keeping control. That's what, and, that's, and, that's what, and, that, and that's what Mark Zuckerberg did. And that's what the boys at Google did. And that's what Elon Musk did. And that's what, 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 what um, Jeff Bezos has done. They made sure they kept control. Because you can't trust the pedestrian. You can't trust the judges. You can't trust the electorate. You can't trust the board. You can't trust the shareholders when you're an alternative thinker. When you think outside of the box in the fifth and sixth dimension. You understand? So you want all power. You, it's not about power. It's, it's because I want to share power all the time. I love to share power. And it's important to share power. But the forces of convention will try to crush something that appears to be risky. Like no one believed in Amazon. Come on, it was forever. Is it ever going to turn a profit? Is it ever going to turn a profit? Who's the richest man in the world? Yeah. Okay? At the height of American Apparel, you would walk into a store and check stitching on an item or start sweeping up the floors. Details are everything. It's like, remember on a movie Casino when he wants to write number of blueberries in every muffin? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, 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 how, that's how come, uh, here, you got, what kind of fries are these? In and out? You like your fries? It's detail, man. They chop them up at the store. Like, all that stuff. Like, the perfect t-shirt? Yes. That's why offshoring, may, you know, it's really tough because they send it out. Like, remember when he says, remember when in the movie on, 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 um, on, on um, Steve Jobs, like, the fonts? He went crazy about fonts? Of course, fonts were important. It was a new idea, but no one ever... WYSIWYG. Do you know what WYSIWYG is? No. You're too young to know. What you see is what you get on the screen versus the printer. They came up with these ideas. Who invented the spreadsheet? Who invented Excel? Excel was on the Mac first. The Mac was an outlier. But sometimes the outliers take over convention. That's what I like. Yeah. Is when the alternative quashes the aristocracy. So, That's the idea of yes. competition. But financial forces don't want that to happen. Boards are frightened that they just need to cover their own ass. They don't give a fuck about telling him what's right or wrong. They just want to protect the stock price. You've made it very clear, Doug. Okay. I, I have a quick question about when all this, you know, going through everything and finally, you know, for better or for worse, the dust had settled. How long... Did you have a recovery period? Did you take six months off to look at everything? Did you lick your wounds at all, or did you go right back to work? First, I ran around in a circle trying to buy back American Apparel. I offered them $550 million prior to the bankruptcy. They said no. Illegally, they didn't, they didn't execute their, right, their duties to see if I had a real good offer based on what the alternative was. They were in a shaky financial position because they had removed me and the company was starting to nosedive. I was doing great until I was removed. I know they don't want to admit it, but the numbers would show that. If you really, really examine them properly with a forensic – you don't need a forensic account with someone that understands business, okay? Now – I offer them $550 million, then it crashes, goes bankrupt, I offer them 300 and change. They say no. 
out of chapter. You're saying you don't want to take my money? You're going to take the company yourself? They ended up selling it for $88 million brand only and stripped the company of all its jobs and resources and, and assets. They just sold the bread. So I was right. They were wrong. So oh shit, when I saw I couldn't buy it back, I quickly pivoted, got a couple of sewing machines like on How credit. How quickly? Like the next Hours. day? Hours. Yeah. Because it's one little problem in life. You only can live to 100. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you only have so many weeks, so much time. So there was no You only life. get 50 weeks a year. So there was no, not even a week. Not no, even. and it's like, um, it, it's traumatized me to a large degree, but I have no choice. The only freedom I'm going to have is to get back my position, uh, you know, where the company was. They, they, they fucked it up. They cheated me. Now, it would have been great. Let's supposing they stole the company from me, right? Okay. And it just went through to the moon, like multi-billion dollar valuation. That didn't happen. And let's say the hedge fund, well, they tricked him. They didn't let the colonel back into the KFC. But man, they 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 really got Yeah, the spices the, worked. The spices worked and they took it to ten billion dollars. Yeah. Chickens but hit the, the second coup, because there was basically two coups in one in a number of weeks, they didn't get it done. So and I never thought for sure they're gonna crash. Like so maybe they'll maybe it'll work better without me there. I don't know. I don't know. But it didn't. It failed without me. So that was nature saying, you're right, they're wrong. You understand? Because it should have worked better without me there if I was, if I was such a mauvaise influence. Well, how come they crashed it so quickly? It wasn't like it crashed over a few years. It like within 10 weeks, it was like it was like the max 737 okay you know but do you immediately find los angeles apparel like do you does it start like do you find the name and you start it the next day in, in yeah. you know in silver lake in your house yeah just sewing machines couple workers, sewing machines let's go yeah let's go let's do it Fuck and em. people are questioning me by the way the entire time at american apparel when we went from 1 million to 2 million there were people that didn't believe. Financial organizations didn't want to extend me credit. Couldn't get the banking from two million to four million the same. From four million to eight million the same. From ten to twenty. From twenty to forty. From forty to eighty. From eighty to two hundred. From two hundred to four hundred. Four hundred to six hundred. I've been going on for thirty years with people that have questioned me, only to come back and apologize. Like really, the board that thought they should just oust me out of nowhere. It's not like they were telling me, hey, look, we're having some issues with you or we've got to do a little investigation here. This doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, But that's contrary to what they said. No, it's not contrary to what they said. They didn't do it. They, there's only but one thing. Hey, I heard, no, no, don't give me. I'm just you, telling you from what the they said. The proxy says <laughs> we support him as CEO and chairman of the board up until the day I was ousted. Right. That's it. That's what they said. But I mean, I listen to the podcast. I, I don't they, want to hear about the podcast. Okay. But I'm telling you, not only am I giving you my word, I had no fucking idea because nobody would have voted for these people if I was under the impression that there was any chance they didn't want me to be CEO or the chairman of the board, I would have flipped the script on them and not elected them. I had a blocking position, if you can understand what that is. I do. So, of course, they didn't tell me. Because any rational person told 
that's in a position of control would have fought back unless I had some concept that I'm guilty of something and I really need to go to prison. I'm sorry. Okay. You know, I, I no, they didn't. They, they, what I believed was, was I, they, they, they tricked me. They made me think that they supported me. But let they me ask gave you me something. the impression that they supported me. They didn't say we're unhappy with you. So you're on a board, right? Let's say you're on yeah, a board. Yeah. And you've got a CEO who you feel is not doing the That's right things. Right. And you, you warn him. You say for however long. Let's just say for a year. You go like, ah, this isn't working. I'm not sure this is a good idea. Yeah. I know. But, you know, you're the, you're the brilliant yeah, innovator. Wait, wait, you, you warn him, right? Yeah. A, a year goes by. They don't change their behavior. Right. And then this vote comes. Right. And you're like... We got to get this guy the fuck out of here. But the only way we're not going to get him out of here is if... You get the story. I did get it. You get the story. You haven't done your research and you haven't gotten the story. I do get the story. They didn't warn me. Because because you would have blocked them. That's right. Had they said they wanted to get rid of me, I wouldn't have voted for them. I would have got rid of them probably. So it was either them or me, right? But who decides... When you own the bodega on the corner of Main and Broadway, right? I don't know, man. I just think business is business. I think you're expecting them to be like perfect schoolboys to give you like, we don't like you, Dove, and we're ousting you. No No one knows. Do you think Steve Jobs knew when they ousted him? They ousted him legally, not illegally. They had controlling position. But to your point, why isn't that more clear then? No, it's not. What do you mean clear? Wouldn't that have been, from the way you're pitching it, it would be like a a very clear infraction and it wouldn't have gone through, right? You're wrong. Why? You're a choir boy. You're a school boy right now. (laughs) I am? Yes, you are because you don't get it. That's what happened. They stole the company illegally right then and there. But who decides if it's illegal then? A judge. It hasn't who did been heard it? yet. When will it be? <laughs> Probably take three more years. So you need the money to mount the, the I, case? I, I, it's not even that. It's, it, the case hasn't even been heard yet. That case of proxy fraud, that breach of fiduciary duty, mm. that hasn't been heard yet. That case is still outstanding Why? in Los Angeles because it takes that long. And when your opponents are hedge funds or fund well, very well funded, okay, when they have the very best lawyers that money can buy, when they spend millions of dollars on PR campaigns but also legal campaigns to disenfranchise you and make sure you never get to the finish line, that they do everything in their power to disable your legal position – it can take that long, and that's the risk in America. And your naivete is part of the problem, your personal naivete, mm. because you're not understanding. You're saying, how could this be? And that's what's going on. There is a disenfranchisement of liberty. The justice system has been crippled. Money is winning. Financial forces are raping America. Then you have this politically correct crap going on at the same time. You combine that with a polarized media and it's landmine city for any alternative thinking entrepreneur right now. It's extremely dangerous. Right. Okay. But here you are, right? And we're five years from then. It's five minutes ago. My litigation continues. I understand. It's, it's, It's happening while I'm mounting the company. At the same, this new company. At the same time, I'm in the defensive position because the hedge fund actually got a judgment against me. 
Right. And I'm suing the board and the hedge fund together. Like if the public really knew what happened, they'd be in, they'd be angry at the justice system. They'd be angry. But don't you at control money. but doesn't your success control the narrative? So let's say, right, you take Victor this. always writes the narrative. The right. Victor always so writes it. So that's So I have to work here like a dog. Right. And I'm doing it and why with you, my staff, remounting and rebuilding a company. But America failed. America failed me and ten thousand workers. Because it shouldn't be. But you're writing the wrongs with this new company, no? Yeah. So, right. But I have to spend all that energy and all that time. They cut. But is this, I had, you don't understand the no, infrastructure I do understand. that was destroyed that I'm having to rebuild. I understand. But yeah. what I'm saying is, is all of that, is it just, what? what's the outcome of this? Is it just correcting the narrative if you win this suit? No, I'm rebuilding a company that's probably one of the most important apparel companies in the world right now. Right. Because most apparel companies rely on the relentless pursuit of cheap labor in order to advance their financial success, mm. almost without exception. Last question. Yeah. I ask everyone on the pod this. What are your one or two Dove Charney commandments, truths that you have discovered that you would want to impress upon someone else? Intensity works. It's not just about passion. It's about being intense. Intent, like just working on something as intensively as you can until you get what, till you finish. You know, t- intensity is important. Hey, Hannah, there's two words. I want to think of this for a second. Yeah. Oh, the two themes that I'm trying to live by right now is intensity, I think is very important. And a lot of people think, well, work-life balance, I don't know. Intense. Okay, number two, if you want to be intense about work-life balance, you might not be an entrepreneur, okay? Right. Maybe you'd be a good business manager. That's sometimes something else. Then the second thing is conservation is a big theme where you, you know, I, we spoke about this earlier, but I think conservation is important because that, you know, to conserve energy, to conserve resources, conserve inventory, be efficient, that's what's key. You know, that's what I believe in. And uh, my impressions of this interview, um, I, don't, I don't know, like I'm too close to it, but I don't love it because I'm getting into like this dark area. Sure. And I'm trying to go forward is the truth. That was it. That was Dove. How about that, huh? Come on. What an interview. Interesting guy. I wish that I had, uh, uh, I wish I had handled that slightly differently, but overall I feel, uh, glad that I got the opportunity to talk to him and, uh, to hear his perspective on things. Cause he, uh, he's just an, just such an interesting, interesting dude, but I, I appreciate, I appreciate it. Dub. Thanks for doing the interview, man. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And yeah, great. Well, for the July is over. The rest of the summer is upon us. So just enjoy that tan. Enjoy that summer bod. Because I know that we're all our best selves from like July to September. And then it all falls apart. So take plenty of pictures now. So we can sort of, you know, remember that we're attractive. Because come those winter months, it's all going to fall apart. Right? I know I'm not alone there. Okay, bye. Bye.